In this podcast episode, we want to introduce you to our BCEN friend, Joe Blansfield. Come along as Michael Dexter and Holly Briggs talk with Joe about his career in all things trauma-related, from the stretcher side to deployment, advanced practice to giving back, and everything in between. This episode is called Navigating and Challenging the Trauma Landscape. Hello, and welcome to the BCN and Friends podcast, where we hold interesting conversations about learning with a range of thought leaders, BCN certification holders, and industry professionals. But most importantly, to create value and insight for you, our professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. We hope you find our discussions interesting, informative, sometimes funny, sometimes serious, and always valuable. I'm Holly Briggs, a professional development specialist at BCEN and one of your hosts for today. I am joined by my co-host, Michael Dexter, Director of Professional Development at BCEN. Hi, Michael. Hello, Holly. Great to have you with us. And in this episode of BCEN and Friends, we have Joe Blansfield. Joe is a person of so much experience, expertise, and knowledge. It's making him, in my opinion, one of the most interesting people to know. It is a true pleasure to offer that chance to get to know him through this podcast episode. Without further delay, Michael, could you please introduce us to our BCN friend, Joe? Yeah, I would be happy to. Joe Blansfield is a board-certified adult nurse practitioner with over five decades of experience in emergency and trauma. The last 27 years of his career were spent in the role of trauma acute care surgery program manager at Boston Medical Center, where Joe was responsible for maintaining all the requirements for this level one trauma center until his retirement in June 2019. Joe also served 26 years of active military service in the U.S. Army Reserves, retiring as a colonel from the Army Nurse Corps, also earning a Bronze Star and Legion of Merit. Joe has volunteered for BCEN through the Trauma Certified Registered Nurse Exam Construction Review Committee and worked on revisions of trauma materials for the Emergency Nurses Association, as well as has been a speaker and published author on many clinical topics. He has been recognized for his excellence through various national awards as his dedication to nursing seems to know no bounds. Joe, welcome to the BCN and Friends podcast. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thanks, guys. Happy to be here. Yeah, we're happy to have you. And my first time hearing you speak was at an emergency nursing conference where you talked about would somebody have died today had had the medical technology been around when when they were assassinated. <laughs> You've talked about a lot of stuff and we'll get into some of that, but it's really neat to meet you in person. It's really neat to have been working alongside you for a while now through your roles at BCEN. But before we dive into any of that stuff, Tell us a little bit about why you became a nurse, a little bit about your military service, which thank you again for for that, and how you transitioned from military and healthcare and then a trauma consultant nurse practitioner. Well, a long story, but I'll try to give you the Reader's Digest version. So I originally was was going to college to be a teacher, and I uh, my high school job, I worked with a pharmacist, and um, um, I was a short order cook in one of those sort of fountain bars. And he he uh, planted the seed. He said, "You know, you seem like a smart kid. You should you should consider nursing. You have a lot a lot more latitude and uh, and a lot more opportunity." And sort of you know piqued my curiosity because I was always fascinated by the human body, how it works, and and equally more important, you know what happens when it doesn't work. So um, so I transferred, and and this was in the in the seventies, and I went into the school of nursing at University of Connecticut, and uh, loved it. And, and when I graduated. Uh, I got a job in a, a University of Connecticut Health Center, 
in the in the uh, surgery ward and and back then the surgery ward was general surgery thoracic surgery oncology surgery orthopedic surgery ENT OMFS plastics you name this type of surgical case and, and they and they were all there so it was really quite challenging did that for a year worked for a year in the ICU and then I went off to Boston University to, to take my take my master's degree and then and Things were looking good. I really was enjoying myself. And I had my first sort of speed bump because when I finished graduate school, I went into um, administration and became a nurse manager. And that was not a good fit for me at that point in my career. And so I really wanted to get back to that clinical. So I put my master's degree in my back pocket, went across the street to the Boston City Hospital emergency room um, and took a job as a staff nurse there. And, and absolutely fell in love with it. Uh, so, so the city hospital and I became best friends. I stayed the city at the city hospital. It became Boston Medical Center years later. And I was there for forty years, moving up from staff nurse, charge nurse, educator, clinical nurse specialist, nurse practitioner, manager, and trauma program manager. So that's the sort of Reader's Digest version. But it all started uh, sort of at a conversation at a you know in an apothecary. So where did you have time to fit, fit military service into all of this? Oh yeah, yeah. So thanks for bringing that up. They were not they were not sequential. They were simultaneous. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so sort of in the eighties, you know, my dad, you know, was a World War II vet and was one of those, you know, he's a combat engineer, one of those guys that you know walked across Europe and um, uh, and I was always fascinated by his career and and some of my uncles. So you know, there was the old saying: if you could be an emergency nurse at the city hospital, you can be an emergency nurse anywhere. And I sort of proud of, took pride in my career. And so I, so I says, well, if I could be a, an emergency nurse at city hospital, can I be an emergency nurse in the army where it's a much more austere environment with a longer lifeline? And so I wanted to see if I could swim in a bigger pond. So um, I raised my right hand, became a you know second lieutenant in the army nurse corps. And again, you know, kept my nose clean, you know, did all the right things, took all the right schools and and took all the right leadership opportunities and uh, uh, and had a couple of deployments, saw all sorts of crazy places around the world. And, um, and it was probably one of the more gratifying things. Like my year in Iraq was probably the highlight of my personal and professional career, you know, taking wounded sons and daughters from, you know, from, uh, you know, from our communities through the front door, and sending them out the back door and sending them home was was really very gratifying and inspiring. Well, wow, thank you. And I'm glad Michael circled back so that we could hear that and also just, you know, not only the impact that you made, but the impact that was made upon you from the time that you took to serve. And thank you again. We appreciate that. Just as as a citizen of this great country, I appreciate men and women like you who step up to do those those very very hard roles, but very much needed. So you have also had a very extensive career of volunteerism and lots of roles related to trauma care and advocacy. Michael mentioned the TCRN ECRC, multiple education committees with the Society of Trauma Nurses and the Emergency Nurses Association. It's very clear that you find value and acts of service to this profession of nursing. So what is your why? Well, I'm a simple guy, and um, 
you know, and I realized early on that, you know, if you're going to stay at it, you know, this is a career that you or a vocation that you, you truly enjoy. Um, basically, it comes down to two choices. You can accept the status quo and be, you know, I don't mean to sound disparaging, but, you know, you could be sort of like the lunch pail worker, you know, that shows up, puts in their hours and goes home and is working to pay off the pool or, you know, get the second car or the, you know, that sort of stuff. And you do your shift, then you leave. Um or you could have another choice where you can really try to get involved and try to make things better. And and I was very frustrated with some of the things I did and saw and, and worked with. And and so I decided to try to make things better by getting involved. And you know, getting involved means getting active and, and getting uh and you know and and volunteering for things. And you know, it reminds me of um one of my favorite quotes. It's a little crude, so please forgive me. Is back in the, you know, I, I'm a big well, I'm an amateur historian, and and LBJ Lyndon Johnson always had a sort of a, a factious, you know, friction relationship with J. Edgar Hoover, uh, and he 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 ended up saying, "Well, it's probably better to have him, you know, inside the tent pissing out than outside the tent pissing in." So so you know so you know you have to accept people's attitudes, and you have to try to change their attitudes, and you have to try to work with them, even though. You know, not everybody is is going to be your best friend, but but you have to try to um, influence people in the right direction. And so, again, like I said, just trying to stay involved and trying to stay engaged and try to work with people to try to make things better. Well, you you know, you have done that obviously through the committees that Holly mentioned. But you know, I mentioned at the very beginning that you also uh, have spoken a lot, and I've heard you speak before. You've spoken at a BCN conference before, and. Um, you know, it, it takes a, a little bit of confidence, but it also takes a lot of planning, a lot of preparation, a lot of work that goes into being a speaker. So what what motivated you to want to present publicly or present at conferences? And what was maybe one of your more memorable presentations you've given? Well, so nobody's born with confidence, just like nobody's born with wisdom. And how do you get confidence and wisdom? Well, there's only one way you get it, as far as I'm concerned, and it comes from experience. And how do you get experience? You get experience by screwing up. So when you screw up and you say, well, I'm not going to do that again, and then you get experience, you get confidence, and you get wisdom. So so I'm glad you guys didn't see or hear me in my early years, because uh, that's when I was quite active in the confidence-building game. But so so how do you, you know, how do you prepare for a talk, or how do you, you know, you you know, first of all, you have, have to have a novel idea. You have to, you know, write an abstract. You have to get somebody to accept it. And then you build it, much like we were doing for BCEN. Um, and, you know, you, you would say, well, you know, I'm standing in front of a large crowd. Why are these people here? And you look into the audience, and some of them you see are, you know, people that you've looked up to, people that are your mentors and, you know, people that are leaders in your in your profession. And and and, and it's a little humbling, you know, to, to look out into the audience and, and see that that type of a crowd as well as you know some of the newer nurses. Um, so why are these people here? You know, are they are they here to check me out, or or actually are they here because they think I have something to say? Um, uh, and so you know, so you have to put that upon yourself, you know, to try to say something that is both entertaining and educational and useful for both the newer nurses as well as for uh, you know for people that that have been around the block a few times. So that's sort of my confidence answer. Um, and as far as a memorable experience, it's, it's a unique one, and it involves a bit of a wardrobe malfunction. Um, 
there was a time years ago I was just had come home from a, from a year in Iraq and um, uh, and I submitted an abstract to the international collaboration of orthopedic nurses who were having their 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 international meeting in Dublin, Ireland. Now my wife and I had been to Dublin before, and we wanted to go back, and so I used this as an opportunity to you know turn some holiday into some fun. So they accepted my abstract, and I gave it something like you know. Uh, orthopedic lessons learned from combat trauma or, you know, lots of amputations and, you know, lots of vascular injuries and all that stuff. So, so I hemmed and hawed about whether to wear the uniform, um, you know, and I decided to bring the uniform because, you know, it was, was military nursing related and I had just recently redeployed. Um, so we're on holiday, you know, in Dublin and the, the venue was at the, was at some hotel at the airport. So we, we, we planned on, checking out of our hotel in downtown Dublin and went out to the airport for our last day, do the conference and then fly home. So we're at the airport hotel and, um, and I'm unpacking and I realized I didn't have my black shoes. I left my black shoes under the bed in the downtown Dublin hotel. And, and it's a Sunday and, you know, I couldn't get a, a pair of size 12 black shoes to wear with my uniform anywhere. And so I'm having a little panic moment. Like, well, I have I have sneakers and I have flip flops and and I, you know, so either the uniform I don't I don't have dress clothes. That, that was you know that was the best suit I owned and that was the only suit I brought with me. So I called the hotel, explained my predicament. I was in room two hundred one or whatever it was. And could you could you take the black shoes from under the bed? I'll pay for a cab, put them in a cab, drive them out to the to the airport, and and in fact they did, and it worked out. Wore the black shoes, and. um uh, and that was the only thing I was nervous about. Giving the talk was actually all downhill after I got my black shoes back on to wear the uniform. Uh, so that was pretty memorable for me, and I'll never forget that more than anything else. You were talking about like being in Ireland, and I was like, if this mount wardrobe malfunction has to do with like a kilt or something, I'm gonna. I've got so many questions. I'm gonna have this podcast just took a whole different turn, but I'm glad it was just your shoes. And I mean, how much fun was that story for that cab driver to be like, you know, I I took I took some shoes across town today. So that is that is certainly memorable. You are speaking for BCN at our Chicago Learn Live coming up in May of 2024. And per your usual, because I have had a chance to hear kind of the topic that you're working on, it's going to be another thought-provoking one. And I feel like, you know, if you've never heard Joe speak, it is really a worthwhile experience having heard him speak a few times now. And I feel like one of the things that I always walk away with is this idea idea of kind of challenging the status quo, or at least thinking about it, perhaps changing practice, but more than anything else, it's just changing the way that we maybe think about something. And instead of just saying like, Hey, this is what we've always done. Let's think about why we've always done what we've always done. And is there room for maybe improvement or something we could do better? So I feel like it's just the way that your brain works, that your brain is set up to kind of think about things not necessarily just like, oh, that's what they told me. So that's what we're going to do. You really do challenge the status quo on the things that are in nursing. And so how do you come up with these topics? Well, we've all been to many conferences, you know, over the courses of our careers. And that's sort of like the hidden benefit of, of having mandatory continuing education. Uh, it forces us to go to conferences. It forces us to stay current. 
So you, if you have to do that, you might as well do go to a conference where, um, you know, where there are topics that stimulate you. And so, you know, we can all take introductory re review courses and, you know, you want to take review courses if you're about to, you know, challenge a credential or, um, uh, you know, or, or some sort of recertification. But if you really want to sort of learn new material, uh, you know, you have to say, what would I like to hear? And, you know, as you mentioned, Holly, that, you know, there's a lot of dogma and it's easy just to follow dogma because I don't have to think about it. You know, we all, we've done it this way and we're going to continue to do this way. And this is the way I've been taught to do it and, and all that. But, but if you've, you know, if you've been at the bedside or the stretcher side long enough, sometimes it just sort of doesn't seem right, doesn't smell right, doesn't feel right. And so do a little research or ask and, you know, we find out about dogma is just dogma, you know, spine boards. We put people on spine boards forever and ever and ever just because, you know, we thought that was a splint and you break a long bone, you splint it, but you break your spine, but you know, your spine is not like a long bone. So why do we splint the spine with long boards? Okay. So let's stop doing that because it doesn't make any sense and there's no research for it. So things like that. So, so what would I like to hear? So put yourself in the seat, you know, of, uh, of your audience and, and what, how would you stimulate their imagination and have them ask the question either how come or why not? And so that's what I, that's what I try to do. So you have done a very good job of that, Joe. I appreciate the thought-provoking topics, and I really appreciate all the work that you've put into nursing and giving back and being a part. I did want to ask you, though, you know, you mentioned working at the pharmacy and, and being encouraged to go into nursing to begin with, but throughout your career, have there been any particular person or any particular um times in your nursing career that really made a, a big impact on you as an individual and, and possibly even changed the trajectory of what you were doing or, or where you were going with your career? So, uh, yeah, that's a tough one. So I, I did have a bit of an epiphany um, at one point in my career. This was sort of, you know, from the army side of my, my career. So we were deployed, you know, we were called act, our reserve unit was called active duty. We were, we were at our mobilization site in Fort McCoy, Wisconsin. And we were, you know, there's the old joke. Um, I spent a year one summer at Fort McCoy. I'm supposed to train you up, but it's a medical mobilization site. And so, so um, our entire unit gets mobbed to Fort McCoy. We didn't have enough people to complete the mission. So we had backfills from other units and we had onesies and twosies that were pulled from all over the place to top us up to make a full combat support hospital. Okay, so we're all in place now and we're all training. And one of the smart things, a brilliant thing, actually, that Big Army did was that they sent me as the chief nurse deputy commander uh, and our operations officer, they sent us forward into Iraq while we were at our mob site to actually see the unit that we were going to replace. So we actually spent 10 days, a couple of weeks you know, with them in vivo and, and learning their practices. And it was wonderful. You know, I, I took hundreds of photographs. I took all their SOPs. I saw what equipment they were using. I saw their formulary, you know, so I was like a sponge and I took everything in as best as I could. And then we go back to Fort McCoy and I said, this is great. I have all this good stuff. Uh, and now we can start training for the mission we're going to have. And then I, I come smack up against big army and big army you know, they say, no, we have the training plans all laid out. This is, you know, we have the contractors, we have the teachers, we have the equipment. This is your training schedule for the next, you know, month or six weeks. And I said, well, wait a minute, guys, why did you send me to Iraq if we're not going to train on the stuff that 
you're going to train me on stuff that we're not going to use or stuff that we're not going to do. It makes no sense. My head was about to explode. And so, so I had a little crisis of conscience. So I did what I would have done in my civilian job. So, you know, we had Rager ventilators. We had Alaris IV pumps. We had, you know, wound vacs. We had all the latest and greatest stuff that you would expect, you know, in a civilian hospital. We had none of that at Fort McCoy. Um, so I, I went on the internet and I found the vendors that were in the you know, Western Wisconsin area. And I said, Hey, you know, I'm a customer of yours. We have your ventilators and we have your IV pumps and we have your moon vacs and we have all of this stuff. Um, you know, could you come and give us some in-services? And they said, really, you're using that stuff in Iraq? Well, that's great. Of course, we'll be happy. So they, you know, they drop shipped ventilators out to Fort McCoy. I had an NCO with a 15 passenger van, go meet them at the gate and bring them in. So I set up training opportunities on the equipment that we were going to use, but I never cleared it with big army. So I got called into the hospital commander's office. I got called into the Fort McCoy garrison commander's office and, and first army commander. So there are all these, you know, high ranking officers. Like, unbelievable. You don't know what you're doing. You know, people are going to think that, you know, that, like, well, this is, guys, we're using this, sirs, we're using this stuff over there. You know, if if I don't train these, our nurses and medics on this equipment beforehand, then then I would feel, I would feel like I haven't done my job. What they wanted to train us on was convoy operations, clearing buildings, and throwing hand grenades. That was the Army training schedule. And, and then why did they want to do that? Because this was just after the Jessica Lynch debacle, where she got captured by the Iraqis and, you know, the special forces had to release her. Uh, um, and so, so everybody was, was fearful that we, you know, oh, you'll learn all that stuff when you get over there. I said, no, that's not acceptable. We're not going to learn that stuff when we get over there because the, the, you know, the junior enlisted are going to worry about where the bunkers are and they're going to worry about how not to get mortared. And, you know, so they, they should know their job before they get there. So I was really, I was this close to getting relieved before we went to deployed. And so that was, it was, uh, but I wouldn't back down. I said, no, I, I know this is, I ha we have to do it this way or you have to find another chief nurse. I mean, they didn't give it to him as an ultimatum like that, but, but it basically was, we've already committed ourselves. We have to see this training through in good conscience. I'm not going to send this team into, into harm's way to take care of America's sons and daughters unprepared. Um, and so they all walked off in a huff and they left me alone and we did finish our training. But I had to sign all sorts of statements that, you know, that we're disavowing any relationship with, you know, the army doesn't have, blah, 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 you know, where this is not an endorsement. So I signed all of that stuff just to make them happy. Okay. So then fast forward to, we're in Iraq, we're, we're about, I don't know, maybe uh, nine months out of our year. And I got a call that, they want me and the ops officer to go back to Fort McCoy. So they reversed gears. Instead of sending a leadership team forward to see what they're doing, they're sending the leadership team rearward to help train up the unit that's going to replace us. Um, and I said, oh, I'd be delighted. So we fly back from, from Iraq into Fort McCoy for a week or two, you know, to help them bring all of the stuff that we would help them train. And guess what? They have a vendor fair. They have a vendor fair with all of the equipment that we're using over there. Now they have it in place. So I took that as a validation that, that you know, it worked out and they finally saw the light.
But that was my sort of, you know, memorable moment where, you know, I came really close to losing my job, but, but, you know, for a good reason. Well, you stayed true to what you knew was the right thing to do. Oftentimes the right thing to do is usually not the easy thing. And sometimes you have to butt a few heads, but I think that overall you saw it was way more valuable to do what you did. And yeah, I mean, you'll probably never hear it. And usually when you do the right thing, sometimes you never hear like, good job. We're really glad that you pushed some things forward for us. But when you see the change happen, you were like, mm-hmm, see, I knew I was on the right track. And yeah, so good for you, Joe. I do get the pleasure of asking you a few rapid fire questions and it has to do with kind of your favorites or things that, you know, Hey, I might ask you if we were sitting down over a cup of coffee. So what would you be doing if you weren't in your current role? I know you're still be bopping all around and talking and bringing your expertise, but what would you do? I probably would be a teacher of some, I mean, I still, I still enjoy teaching, you know, and I'm still teaching TNCC and I'm, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm giving, you know, talks at conferences and such like that. So I still enjoy teaching and I, and I probably would teach, you know, history because as I said before, I'm a bit of a history nerd. Um, and you know, historians are just basically glorified storytellers. Um, and so, you know, teaching and storytelling and combining it with history would probably be, you know, sort of what I'm doing as well as being in the nursing profession, but I probably would be, you know, some sort of a a history teacher, I would think. Mm. I love listening to historians who pull out like the human aspect. So it's like, you know, we we get told about all of these historical figures and the great things that they did. The ones that I tend to remember, or just like the the random facts that make that person a person, like they take them out of the context of just this figure and they make them a person. There's so much fascinating. I find history so fascinating that you really don't need fiction. You know, there's so <laughs> much fascinating history we have that is really unbelievable. And the difference is it really happened as opposed to, you know, you watch a lot of fiction, um, which is also, you know, interesting, but, but there's so much fascination in history that, uh, and these events really happened and just, just paying attention to them is quite remarkable. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when I tell stories about my day or just talking about like, oh yeah, I was in the ER and I saw this, people are like, what? I can't believe that. And I'm like, you know, sometimes real life is is way more interesting than I could ever make it up to be. So I think naturally a lot of people in nursing are just really great storytellers and it's the history of our, of our current people, really. <laughs> so all right, here's some favorites. You, favorite book. It could be all time or something currently that you're reading that you recommend. Well, I've, I've read everything by Elmore Leonard. I, I really like uh, Elmore Leonard. And um, he's written many, many types of things. He's sort of a detective action adventure writer. Um, you know, if you've read, if you've seen or heard of Justified with Raylan Givens, so he's the author of, uh, um, of that uh, character. But he's done that and so much more. His prose is so compact and so precise and so descriptive. It's just a treat to read his prose and the way he, he constructs language. So, so I like anything by Elmore Leonard. When I was a youngster, I, I also liked Hunter S. Thompson, Fair and Loathing in Las Vegas and the Great Shark Hunt. Another sort of the way he uses language, he calls it gonzo journalism. 
and I had I had a lot of fun reading Hunter Thompson. Um, so those are my favorites. Awesome. All right. Favorite movie or TV show? Band of Brothers, that HBO documentary based on Stephen Ambrose book. I read the Stephen Ambrose books, Band of Brothers, before the before the HBO series came out. Actually, I was in Kosovo for six months on a deployment um, when I read that book, and it really resonated with me. And then, you know, when the HBO documentary came out, um, one of the one of the characters, George Luz, I know his son, George Luz Jr., and I became friendly with him. And his wife was a psych nurse in my unit. So, so through that relationship. I met some of the men in the Band of Brothers. Uh, they would have reunions, and I had the opportunity to go to some of their reunions and to meet those men. You know, from Easy Company uh, was really just a, you know, a personal highlight. So, so that always has become my you know, sort of my favorite movie or series and book. Wow, to meet them in real life—how cool is that? Ah. Oh. Okay, I could spend some time on that, but I'll move on. Favorite musical artist? Yeah, well, I'm an old dog, so I like the Beatles. I, I am old enough to have been a Beatles fan while the Beatles were a group, and I actually was a member of the Beatles fan club. You know, how bad is that? And I actually got the Beatles Christmas album. And so I got, you know, so when the Beatles were a group, even though, you know, I wasn't one of the screaming teeny boppers, um, I was always like the Beatles and still, still do. They were game changers in, in the history of rock and roll. Yeah. And it's just some good music. You can put that on and it still transcends past the time that it was maybe at its highest popularity and you can still listen to it today. So great choices. All right. Comfort food or a meal that you really enjoy? Oh, um, well, I'm a simple, I have simple tastes. I mean, my wife's a pretty good cook, but uh, I always have a soft spot for pizza. You know why? Because um, pizza is the perfect food because you can put anything on it and you can have it for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. You can have it hot or cold. How great is that? You are preaching to the choir. I feel the same <laughs> way. Breakfast pizza is a thing, y'all. And it could be that it doesn't have any breakfast food on it. It could be that it was your pizza from last night, but it could still be delicious in the morning. So yeah, no need to convince me here. I was fully prepared to agree once she said pizza. All right. Other hobbies or things that we know from any type of high stress profession, self-care is a really big deal. So what do you, what helps you reset, Joe? What helps you reset? So um, I'm in a little town halfway between Boston and Providence. Um, and I'm fortunate that I have, uh, have a few hundred acres of woods behind me that is conservation land that belongs to the town. Um, and because I've, I've been here for many years and I, I know this backyard very well, um, that I love going into that backyard of 300 acres and just I'm not really getting lost because it's hard to get lost because, you know, you can figure your way out. But I, I found this book many years ago called Reading the Forested Landscape. And I still like to go out into the woods and literally read the forested landscape. There are things, you see a tree that's down and you walk up to the tree and it's not just a down tree. Why did that tree come down? And you could actually figure it out. Did that tree come down because it just got too old and it died? Did that tree come down because it had a crack in the bark and insects got inside? Did that tree come down because it was a blowdown because of a, a microburst or a nor'easter? So you could actually figure it out by by reading the forest and landscape. You know, there's there's hills and valleys, there's rock formations, there's there's uh, geological esters 
in this region of the country, the ice age receded about 15,000 years ago and left, you know, all sorts of ravines and lakes and, um, and boulder fields. And all of that is just, is just there for thousands of years. And it, all you need to do is, is know how to read it. And so that's how I like to go out into the woods, you know, and especially because I'm sort of a natural born teacher, bring people with me and show them this was a blowdown. And why was this a blowdown? Because there's a, you know, you could see where the root ball was left and you could see where the cradle of the dirt that came out of it was left. And you could see, an, you know, a, a rise in the, in the, in the, in the terrain next to it. You know, so like sort of deciphering, you know, various things in the woods is, is really cool. And especially good to, you know, to do it to some youngsters, you know, take a, a middle school class you know, out into a hike into the woods and, um, and turn their eyes on things that they would never have imagined that they see before or have walked past a hundred times and never really noticed. It's almost like teaching them a, a new language. And then once you see it, you can't never see it again. You'll see it when you walk into the woods again. So that's really cool. I wrote down the name of that book, actually. My husband would really enjoy it. And, you know, I might get some little tidbits too. Okay, if our audience would like to follow you online, what social media could they find you on? I do have a LinkedIn and a Facebook account, um, but I'm not terribly active on it. And 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 some of the stuff I might post on Facebook is is pretty schmaltzy, but nonetheless, it's there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for that, Joe. Joe, thank you for just meeting with us today and talking and for allowing us to get to know you a little bit more. As I mentioned before, we, we know you through your work with BCEN. We know you through speaking at conferences and stuff, but getting to hear some of the stories, getting to hear how you stood up for the people under your command with the medical uh, education they needed and all of the things that you've done in your career. It's just been impressive to hear, but really uh, an honor to be able to sit down and talk with you today. So thank you for for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you. I want to take this time to thank Joe for joining us for this episode of BCN and Friends. Thank you, Joe, for sharing your expertise, your passion with us. Your legacy continues to grow in this profession because of your unwavering commitment and engagement to it. Looking into 2024, you can make plans to meet Joe and Michael and I at BCN Learn Live in Chicago. It'll be May 5th through the 7th of 2024. You can check out bcn.org backslash learn live for more details. And to all of our listeners, we hope you will stay tuned as we continue with BCN and Friends and bring you new, meaningful content and perspectives. If you have a suggestion for an episode, please email us at bcn at bcn.org. I'm Holly Briggs, here with Michael Dexter, and on behalf of the entire BCN team, we thank and celebrate you for all that you're doing as professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. Until next time, we are out.